Well, this morning, the title of the message is Living on Borrowed Time. And uh, folks, we're all living on borrowed time. And uh, in the meantime, God wants us to be be serving him, living uh, for him. Uh, this passage this morning is the, the last of a rather lengthy sermon that started uh, in chapter 12, verse 1. And uh, this morning, uh, Jesus is going to be answering for us the question, why am I here? You know, we all ask ourselves that question from time to time. Everybody asks that question. Why am I here? Why am I taking up space on this planet? This text is going to answer that question this morning. Um, but before we get into it, I, there's a couple things I want to just share about um, you know, fulfilling the purpose that God has for us, making a difference. There was a gentleman by the name of uh, Alfred Nobel. I've shared this uh, story before. But um, he woke up one morning, and the newspaper had confused him with his brother who had died in India. And the newspaper thought Alfred Nobel had died. And so when he woke up and started reading the paper, there was his picture on the front page. And they were describing Alfred Nobel's life. And he was shocked. Uh, He was distressed over the things that were being said about him. You know anything about Alfred Nobel? He was he he uh he was a very wealthy man. He was a business he was a business person, he was an entrepreneur, he was an inventor, and he was probably best known for having invented dynamite. And this these were some of the words that described um, him in the newspaper, a merchant of munitions, dealer of destruction, and peddler of death. And uh, he was dis- very disturbed about how people were describing him. And so that day he went back to his office and he rewrote his will. And uh, through that will... He created what's not is known as um, the Nobel Peace Prize Foundation. He used his wealth to honor to reward those who were contributing to peace around the world, whether it was in business or science or literature or politics. And uh, we're all very familiar with the Nobel Peace Prize. Well, this came from uh, his foundation that he started based on an obituary that he read about himself. His life changed. And this morning we are looking at the question, why are we here? Why am I here? What is my purpose on this planet. And before I read the text, this text is going to talk um, about the grace and patience of God. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning before we read the text, because uh, this is really what it emphasizes. 
And uh, some things I want you to know about God's grace and, and patience and mercy. Number one, the Bible says it lasts forever. Lasts forever. If you read Psalm 136, 21 times the psalmist says, His steadfast love endures forever. And we like to hear that. And that is very true. But who does God's grace and love and mercy um, last forever towards? It lasts to those who fear him. It's not for everyone. It's for those who fear him. Psalm 103, verses 17 and 18 says, it's in your outline this morning, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. And yet God is patient. God is uh, merciful to all people, to every one of us, not just those here in this room, but every person that he's created, that he's planted in his vineyard. God is patient. And why is God patient and merciful? It's for our salvation. For our salvation. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. I love this verse in Romans 2, 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God loves each and every one of us. You know what? We deserve his wrath. But in his mercy, he withholds his wrath. And he is patient with us. And he wants us to come to a place of repentance and salvation in him. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. <clears throat> and it doesn't matter how dark, how evil, you might be. God is patient with you. I don't think there's any of us here in this room who was as evil and as vile as the Apostle Paul. Before Paul came to salvation, Paul oversaw the persecution and the torture and the murder of Christians. I mean, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was chief among sinners. But Paul says that God was even patient with Paul. You don't have this in your outline. You just have 1 Timothy 1.16. But let me read to you verses 12 through 16 this morning. 1 Timothy 1. He says, I thank God who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because 
He judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed to me for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. God is patient and merciful for every one of us. And and that patience and that mercy endures for a very long time. You know, if we look at the... First Peter chapter three, verse 20, it talks about the patience of God with uh, the, the, the people in Noah's time. God told Noah to build an ark, but while he was to build the ark, he was to, to proclaim um, the judgment of God that was coming, and God was very patient with those people. How long? We don't know. You know, you some, here's some people say it took a, God a, or Noah 120 years to build the ark? No, it didn't. That's not what the scripture says. But it did take a very long time. And through that entire period, God was very patient. He was wanting them to come to repentance. But none of them did except for Noah's family. And then judgment came, which brings me to my third point in the patience and mercy of God. God's mercy has limits. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3 says, My spirit will not contend with man forever. There's a deadline, and we don't know what that deadline is. But if we don't, if our lives don't change, Romans 2 Verse 5 says, but because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Judgment is coming at some period. We don't know when that period is. We are living on borrowed time, but understand judgment is coming. And as we wait... This waiting period is for our benefit, your benefit, for your salvation. And we've seen this in Scripture where God's limit um, is there. We saw it at the flood. We we saw it uh, with the children of Israel wandering around the wilderness and uh, the a generation uh, didn't believe God. They fought against God, and so God did away with that generation. They weren't able to go into the promised land. We saw the nation of Israel. They wouldn't obey God's laws, and God sent them into exile, into judgment. And in our parable this morning, God's mercy and patience is going to have a limit 
on the children of Israel as well as the nation of Israel. And so that brings us to our text this morning as uh, we look at the mercy and the patience of God. And Jesus, again, is teaching us in a parable. Now, what's a parable? Parable is just a simple story that is to present a simple truth. Uh, it's not hard to discover. Now, parables are different from allegories, okay? With allegories, you dissect an allegory, and there's many parallels with a uh, an allegory, but that's not the case with parables. Now, there are some things that the parable are talking about that I want to point out this morning, but uh, there is a message uh, for all of us here in this passage. So beginning with verse 6, the Bible says, Jesus says, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, Well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. What's this parable talking about this morning? I want to point out three things in this parable parable of who we see in the parable. The first thing we see is we see the owner, the owner of the vineyard. Who is the owner of the vineyard? The owner is God the Father. Okay, God, the father has planted this fig tree. He's planted the fig tree in in good soil and he's expecting this this fig tree to produce fruit. But this fig tree has been barren for three years and the owner of this fig tree is totally frustrated because this fig tree is not producing fruit. God the Father is the owner of the fig tree. Who's the caretaker? Who's the vine dresser? The vine dresser is Jesus Christ. And Jesus, Jesus is pleading with the owner of the vineyard for more time. Now, in this parable, it says one year. Now, but that doesn't necessarily mean one calendar year as we're familiar with. Uh, as you interpret the Greek, it's a period of time. But the caretakers give me more time. And uh, and these and this represents Jesus. Jesus is saying to us and Jesus is thinking, you know, I still have a bit more time here on earth. Now, as we look at the life of Christ, we're in chapter 13 now. Where is that in Jesus's ministry? Well, really, it's about two and a half years into his ministry. It's the fall. It's around October or November now. And Jesus is going to be uh, crucified and raised from, the, raised from the dead in the spring of the next year. Uh, so there, he's about six, eight months away from uh, that. what's going to happen to him. And Jesus knows he has more time. He, he has more that he wants to do. There's, there's people that he wants to heal. Um, 
He's going to resurrect his friend, Lazarus, from the grave. And everybody's going to hear about this. He's going to die for these people. And he's going to conquer death. Father, they just need some more time. And as they see these things, then hopefully this tree, this fig tree will begin to bear fruit. He pleaded for more time. So we see the caretaker as Jesus. And then who's the fig tree? Well, the fig tree are really two different groups. One, it's Israel. The fig tree represents Israel. And then it also represents us as individuals. And Israel does not believe the Messiah. And if Israel does not change its heart, the parable says that the axe is going to lay, it's going to chop down the fig tree at its root. Israel understood that. Because if you go to, did you need something? Oh, just leave it there and we'll give it to her later. Thank you. Um, because uh, in Luke chapter 3, verse 9, we see where John the Baptist is talking to the people that if they don't repent, that the axe is lying at the root of the tree and it's going to be chopped down. If Israel doesn't repent, if if Israel doesn't see who the caretaker is and believe in God's son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, they're going to be judged. And we're going to look at history. As you look at history in 70 A.D., Israel was judged. Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed. And so not only is this parable talking about Israel and what ultimately happened to Israel, but it's also referring to to us. Remember, we are in the middle. We're at the end of Jesus' sermon. And we looked at a couple weeks ago the return of Christ. And Peter asked the question, Jesus, is this, is this for us to know or is this for others to know? What did Jesus say? He really didn't answer the question. It was yes on both accounts. It was for the disciples there, but it's for us. Church, we're in this in-between times. We're between times of Jesus' first return and his second return. And as we're waiting... As his fig tree, God expects us to produce fruit, which brings us to point number two. What's the issue? What's the main point? God expects his children to produce good fruit. Why am I here? Why are you here what does the parable say? What's the message trying, God's trying to get to us? We are to produce good fruit. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why we're taking up space. 
God has planted us in his vineyard to produce good works. So how is God the owner of the vineyard, the planter of the fig tree, the planter of your life? What does he see in your life right now? Is he, is he frustrated like this barren fig tree? Does he want to chop it down? Just know that there's a caretaker. There's a vine dresser who's given us more time, who's pleaded our case. Which brings us to number three. Why was the tree not producing fruit? Well, what does the vine dresser say? The vine dresser, what does he want to do? He says this. Um, verse 8. Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and put on manure. First thing is we see that the roots are um, are bound up in the earth. Uh, the caretaker wants to free up the root. He wants to dig around the roots. Uh, the Puritan uh, John Bunyan, the preacher John Bunyan, said that the roots were too closely intertwined with the earth. Have you ever had any plants like that? They were t- their roots were just too intertwined, or they were too compacted in a in a container, or, you know, I think of my, my grapevines. There's been times where they didn't do very well. They didn't produce a whole lot of fruit. And so in the off-season, when they look dead, you know, I get out there, and I start to dig up around the roots, and I put manure in there. Just loosen up the soil. Why do I need to do that? I need to do that to aerate the ground so the roots can breathe a little, can, so that the roots can receive the, the nutrients of the manure and the, and the water. And what happens when I do that? Boy, I have an abundant crop the next, next season. And what's happened, what, what the caretaker is describing here is that the roots are too intertwined with the soil. They're too caught up in the here and now. It's like that message I preached a few weeks ago about um, stress, anxiety. You know why we have so much anxiety? Jesus' answer was to sell our stuff. Don't let your life revolve around your stuff. Be generous with your stuff. It's not your stuff. It's God's. Let go. Don't allow your self-esteem and identity to be caught, be wrapped up in what, what you own. Our identity needs to come through Christ. In Christ alone. And so I like what John Bunyan said about this passage uh, stating the case of the caretaker. He said this, Lord, I will loosen his roots. I will dig up this earth. I will lay his roots bare. My hand shall be upon him by sickness, by disappointments, by cross 
providences. And isn't that the way God oftentimes loosens up the roots of our lives? He sends crisis into our life. Last, last week we, we heard uh, the testimonies of uh, uh, Cedric and Stephen. What got their attention? You know, things that were happening in their life. Uh, people that they cared, cared about who had health crisis in their life. Their, their job, they were stressed at the job. They didn't know if they were going to have their job. And God was getting their attention. They realized that there was something greater to live for. My friend, that's what God does in our life. He sends crisis. He, he sends problems. He sends manure into our life that we might look to him. This is why the tree was not producing fruit. So what's the antidote? What's the answer for God to produce fruit in our life? Good fruit. Four things. Number one, First thing is you need to believe in Jesus. That's the first step. Jesus was speaking to an audience who was, who was questioning his divinity. They didn't believe who he was. And as a result of their unbelief, there was no fruit in their life. There was no fruit in the nation. You want God to transform you? You want your life to be a blessing rather than a curse? starts with the relationship with Jesus. And if you haven't crossed that threshold of faith, I, I want to encourage you to believe, to trust in Christ. Christ died for you so that you wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God, so that your tree won't have to be chopped down. Jesus took that punishment upon himself. Believe in what Christ has done for you. The second, loosen your grip on the things of this world. I talked about that a few weeks ago, and I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that message online. But this place is not our home. We are just passing through. This life is just a dress for rehearsal for the eternity that is to come. So don't hold on to this life as this, as this, that this is the best that it will ever be. Know what? For those who were, are without Christ, this life is the best it's ever going to get. But for those whose lives are in Christ, this is the worst it's ever going to be. The best is yet to come. I love traveling up 395. I love to go to those beautiful eastern Sierra lakes to go fishing. It's beautiful. It's serene. It's peaceful. But, you know, as I look at all those places, experience those places, all those places are cursed. Creation is groaning for its Redeemer. 
And God is going to make all things brand new. This is not our home. We are just passing through. So hold on to these things loosely. This is not who you are. Our identity is in Christ. So loosen your grip on the things of this world. Allow God to dig up the roots of your life so that you might receive his nourishment, his strength, his grace, his living water, his word to produce the fruit that he wants to see produced in your life. And then number three, give thanks in life's manure. Seriously. Give thanks in life's manure. Is God pouring some manure on your life right now? How's your attitude towards the fertilizer that you're receiving? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you doesn't tell you to give thanks for all things. Those things are painful. But we are to give thanks in those things. Why? Because we know that God sees the bigger picture of our life. And he's wanting to accomplish things in our lives that we can't comprehend right now. But we're just trusting Romans 8, 28. All things are working together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. He's working it all together for your good. Let God change your attitude and start being thankful rather than being angry and bitter about your circumstances. Let your circumstances let make you better. You know, let God turn lemons into lemonade. Be thankful. And then number four, repent and do the right thing. I mentioned to it to it to us earlier, Ephesians two ten, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So why are we here? The text answers the question. Why are we taking up space here? We're taking up space to glorify God through our good works. To glorify God through our good works. That's that's why you're still living on borrowed time. He wants to use you to be a blessing in other people's lives to bring glory to him so that others may in return glorify God. Don't wait till the end. Don't look at your life and say, I'm just going to live this life selfishly. And when I get to the end of my life, then I'll give my life to Christ. 
you know what, I've, I've had some end-of-the-life salvation experiences with people. I've been asked to go to the hospital and talk to, to them about their relationship with God. They realize that they need to make things right with their maker. And they've given their lives to Jesus Christ. But there's so much more that God wants to do in your life. And let me share with you a story. Uh, several years ago, <clears throat> I officiated a, certain, uh, a, a funeral service uh, for Joyce Fowler's ex-husband. Joyce was a former organist, pianist in our church. She died of liver cancer probably about eight or nine years ago now. And um, shortly thereafter, I was asked to do uh, Mr. Stoner's uh, funeral. And as I was at the family's house and I was learning about his life, um, the oldest son told me that uh, he had gone to the hospital and visited with his dad. Uh, the oldest son was a committed Christian, and he was concerned about his dad's salvation. And he led his dad in the sinner's prayer. And his dad became a Christian. And it says, as he was leaving the, the hospital, he thought to himself, man, did my dad really believe that, mean that? Or was he just trying to make me happy? And he was asking God for confirmation. Well, the next day, the youngest brother went to the hospital to see his dad, to say his goodbyes. And as, as he was leaving, his dad told Chad, I love you, son. And Chad turned around, what did you say? I love you, son. Now, you need to understand, Chad, you need to understand all the boys. Uh, Mr. Stoner was an abusive alcoholic for all the boys' lives. I mean, they had a rough, difficult relationship with their dad. Chad told me in that living room on that night, I had longed for my dad to say those words my entire life. They got to hear him at the very end. I want to ask you a question. What if dad had surrendered his life to Christ early on as a dad? I believe those boys' lives would have been vastly different. God changes people's lives. And the words... The words that he said in that hospital room on that last day, that was fruit from his salvation. And what a blessing it was in his son's life. But he needed to hear that his entire life. Folks, God has put us in his vineyard not for us to live for to ourselves, not to be bound up in the things of this world and hold on to the things of this world, but no, to be available, to be a blessing, to be a service to him, to produce good fruit. So my question to you this morning, as God, as the owner of your life, what does he see? Is there fruit there? Do you believe in Christ? 
That's where it starts. Is there something you need to repent of that you need to, to let go of? Something you need to be thankful for rather than bitter about? So that God can begin to produce that fruit that will glorify him and bless others. Let's pray. God, thank you for your patience. Thank you for Jesus, who is right now at the right hand of your throne, pleading our case. Lord, I thank you for your, your patience, your mercy. We deserve your wrath. We're living on borrowed time. Help us to take advantage of the time that you've given us for our salvation. To be that testimony, to be that light of who you are. God, I believe there's a lot more Mr. Stoners out there in this world that need to make decisions for you now. That, God, you might use them. You know who they are. And, Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you. Stop fighting you and surrender like the Apostle Paul did. That they might be a testimony of your grace, your patience, your mercy. How, how is God speaking to your heart right now? Jeff's going to lead us in the song, The Nails in Your Hand. Thank Him. Surrender to Him. Live your life to Him. For Him. Let's worship Him.